if you can get a leader to realize that that information, whether I like the information or not, is a gift, that our greatest resource is what the front line knows, and doing that work to say, I'm going to hear things I don't like, but it's going to be the information I need to make things better and be successful. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with Lauren. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Thank you. So happy to be here. So Lauren, for our listeners that don't know who you are, can you just give them a quick pitch and tell them who you are and what you do? Oh, yeah. So I'm Lauren Mooney. I'm a nurse by background, but I have now basically dove into the safety world headfirst, spent a lot of time out with people in nuclear, other high-risk stuff. In healthcare, I started, how can it be that we're harming those very people that we intended to help? So where's the gap? And over time, I developed some models and I went out looking, became crazy about high reliability organizing. I then translated high reliability organizing into nine questions that I was very excited about because they really bring it to life. However, I realized what good are questions if when you ask them, no one will speak up and answer them. So then I said, oh, we have to tackle this speaking up problem. And I created a new model called Speaking In. And I want to get into speaking in, but you you just said something that lit my fire. There's all this engagement stuff out there and it's fantastic. But if the context of the question isn't legitimate, isn't real, isn't permissible, so to speak, it's completely irrelevant, isn't it? So like we have this thing where, no, you can come to me anytime. We have this open door policy or we're in a meeting with a group of people and they're like, go ahead. What do you have to say? This is an opportunity to do that. But the people know there's not a real opportunity that if they say something against the grain, they're going to be in trouble, whether publicly, privately, you know, the whole whole term about quiet quitting or quiet firing. They, mm-hmm. they come up with these creative terms for the stuff that people have been doing for decades. So, you know, if I speak up, they may not yell at me in front of everyone, but maybe they're going to quietly put me out the back door. There's this fear. And so we tell everyone to speak up and be engaged and all this stuff, but we don't really give them permission to do that, do we? No, no. Permission is a great word. And people are not stupid. And they have a sense of whether it's unsafe or whether it's futile or whether the power dynamics are such that it's just going to be a bad idea. And they're watching and listening to what happens to others. So until we can eliminate that question, people have this question hanging in their head. If I speak up, will I be helped or harmed? And until the leader eliminates that question of uncertainty, people is, you know, the lack of psychological safety is, you know, or it could even be job safety, which is, could be physiological safety. I mean, that's interpreted as an existential threat. So you can't ask humans to act against their nature. It's just human nature. We're, we're, we're going to try to survive. So we have to do something different is my premise. Right. And it's really politicking almost like you see this in politics where you word something one way so you could say that to your audience or your base. But then the next moment you could so you could say, well, I said that I, you know, I did this. But but everyone knows the underlying theme is not you're not really being completely honest with it. It's not real, real safety. And so I think Simon Sinek does a whole thing with the circle of trust, you know, which sounds like what they do in elementary school. So I think a lot of people yeah. like. You know, they tell the kids, who's in your circle of trust? So, like, as adults, we hear that and we're kind of like, eh, I don't know, that's kind of kiddish. But there's that's a real thing, isn't it? If what we're saying is not 
we don't have a safe space, so to speak, or that circle of trust. People are not the open door thing, you know, the whole appreciative inquiry. None of that stuff works if you don't have trust. Well, again, and my bigger question is why, what's, so we have the fear on the people's part, but why, why don't leaders, why aren't they truly seeking and why aren't they creating the conditions? And I thought about this. I wanted to write a piece called like love letter to frustrated leaders because (laughs) they're right. They're out there and they're like, darn it. Our outcomes are bad. Our safety's bad. Our engagement's bad. But what, so what's the gap? But I think what it really comes down to is who teaches you? What are the fundamentals of success when working in a complex socio-technical system? We just got handed the model of speaking up because it's always what was there. And it's just outdated. I don't know how it used to perform, but I say if you had a gate at the front of your factory and people came with their cards to get in and it only opened 50% of the time, would you keep this gate? And that's essentially what we have here. Although speaking up is worse than 50% usually. <laughs> so, so do you think the cause, the root cause of this are leaders or those in management positions how do I say it? They don't want to take accountability for their side or being responsible for other people. Because like the, the easy fix, the getting to the root of safety is that we go low surface level. Employee A did did action B that led to accident C. And that's it. We don't want to go any further. But now if you go to the root cause, policies and procedures can be involved. Housekeeping issues can be involved. There could be overtime that could be involved. There's like all these factors and variables. But we don't really want to get to the root. And for one, that means there may be some blame on us. And for two, it could be real inconvenient. So if someone speaks up, I one may get challenged personally, and I don't like that. And two, I have to maybe take the inconvenience of going to figure it out. And I don't want to do that. I want to, I'm on my track. I don't want to have to do extra work. Is that what that is going on? Is there something different you think that keeps leaders from truly having that safe circle of trust type in, inviting permissible workspace? Mm. Well, one thing, and I mean, don't feel embarrassed if you don't know this. I mean, you're busy working with your work. It wasn't that long ago that I didn't really, I kind of experienced complexity and complex systems and all the uncertainty it brings about, but I hadn't really studied it and I didn't know the strategies for it. I I learned like by the seat of my pants in an emergency room and supervising a hospital. But I think that what we have is a fundamental misunderstanding of what is power in complex systems. So we think that power is going to be control and compliance because we think we're in this linear, well, you do A and you're going to get B. But that's not how it works. So in complexity, your power, what I want to, my message to leaders is real power in complexity is the ability to learn. And that requires different attitudes, a whole different sort of questions, and then some actions that unlock so i'm big about unlocking like there's things are unlocked i mean locked up like oh we can't get this employee experience right we can't get our safety it's because you are not putting the right key in but once you have the right key so that's one i think it's the a misunderstanding that it's it's not as simple as you know a root cause and that things are changing all the time and and new new things outside your plans come up so how do we prepare ourselves for that we have to be speaking all the time Right. It's almost like rather than a system, it's almost like a plant. When you deal with anything with social behavior, it's organic. You you add water or fertilizer, but this this happens and A happens. It's not like a clear cut solution. You try to put make the soil as nutrient loaded as it can be, you try to get the right sunlight and 
you make these adjustments, but it's really you kind of got to have to wait on the plant to get to to see how it responds. Do, you, do I take water away? Do I add more water? And you kind of have to figure it out. And I think we're trained in the Western cultures in the systematic mindset, like you said, linear A, B, C, D, or bullet point kind of thinking. And so we want everything structured like a model. Put part A here, then part B here. And when you're working with people, people just don't operate with that. We're emotional beings. And so I really love the work that you're doing. This is this is such a good message. I, I'm glad we're doing this because I'm going to help get the word out as much Yay. as possible. This is really something like you really have to think about. And from my experience, now tell me if you've experienced this, is someone that is open to this idea of what we're talking about. I see a huge hindrance is they start the process of doing this. Mm-hmm. And then either it gets too complex or, or they in their mind it is or it doesn't produce the instant gratification, the instant result that they're looking for. So then they back off it after a few weeks or a few months and say, well, it didn't work. Like this is a kind of a long term. I'm sure it'll have some sort of short term effect, but this is kind of a long term approach. Right. When we talk about people and culture, this is something we have to continually work and we work and, and keep our eye on it. Yes, it, it is. It's a it's a. I, hate, I I don't know, people don't like the word paradigm change, but it kind of is. But it's, I'd say it's a message and it's a model and it's a method. So we went over the messages, you know, speaking in, speaking up doesn't work. It never will. And learning is power, but that we can, we can change our ability to learn if, if our leaders shift their mindset and their behavior. So the speaking in, I should tell you the premises of it. So speaking in has these core principles. It means that leaders first, but eventually everyone, because the thing about leading is one day you can be leading, but the next day you're with the board and suddenly you're not the leader. So when you are leading, when you are the person of power in the room, you realize that you need to be intentionally including, inviting, and appreciating diverse perspectives. Because the diverse perspectives are where your where your power are power is when things are unclear. Uh, the whole sense making process of how do we figure out what's going on? Usually, somebody knows something, but are they willing to say it? If you can get a leader to realize that that information, whether I like the information or not, is a gift, right? That our greatest resource is what the front line knows. And doing that work to say, I'm going to hear things I don't like, but it's going to be the information I need to make things better and be successful. If you can get there. So I have a leader and he's got two thought bubbles. One is, a, is this a president or is this a snake? And if you can say that's the gift, you can change everything. So the other piece for leaders is I'm hoping it's going to transform the leadership experience because the leaders need to realize they don't have to have all the answers. They can't. So in a sense, it lightens your load, okay? Because your people have the answers. Let's sit on that because I think that's maybe the most profound statement that you've said so far. And I see that in things I'm involved with, nonprofit organizations outside of work a lot, where I see a lot of vulnerable leaders that don't pretend they have the answers. So when a problem comes, they say, I really don't know what I'm doing in this particular aspect. Like I've done A, B, and C before, but this is something new. I really don't have the answers. We're just kind of going to go. And that actually makes me feel safe. Having that vulnerability of a leader and that humility to admit that makes me feel like I'm on a good leadership. This is a person I can follow because they're going to be straightforward with me. And that gives me permission to also be straightforward and vulnerable to them as well. And so we put pressure on ourselves as leaders, whether that's a coach of a little league team 
a plant manager, supervisor of a shipping department, a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Any of these different groups, even the volunteer leadership, just we put pressure on ourselves that the responsibility of everyone else is, is always on us. And, that, and that's true to a degree, but it, it creates this tension in us where we have to almost like through bravado, like I have to muster up the, I know what I'm doing. You have to take charge, take the bull by the horns. Taking the bull by the horns doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything. Maybe it's just like pulling in, like you said, the diverse voice, outside consultant if you need it. Whatever it is, you, you bring in the right people, and that's good leadership. And so what do you say to those leaders that are struggling in that environment that's really difficult for them to unlock into that traditional, I have to take charge, even if I don't know what I'm doing, into that? You know what I mean? And then, and then how do I begin to transition into this speaking in type culture that you're talking about? Well, here's the funny thing. So we talk about trust. So the the the, the staff or the employees need to trust the leader, but there's that opposite situation you're talking about. The leader has to trust that the answers are in the crowd. So I always say, who wants to be a millionaire? I never really watched the show. But the bottom line is, where could you always find the answer? Better than phoning a friend is the diverse perspectives of the audience. So the key thing, I love what you said about the leader of the nonprofit. So let's take the leader of the nonprofit, who's the honest leader. If leadership is about going, right, we're going somewhere unknown. How can you possibly know it all? If you weren't stepping into the unknown, then you wouldn't be the leader. So almost like by definition, there's an element of uncertainty in leadership, but a leader that knows how to ask the right question to, okay, so comes in with an attitude of the courage to say it, the humility, right? The curiosity, the respect. The key thing about speaking in is there's two steps, a fear-reducing invitational question. So like, you know, I'm not really sure what, what we're seeing here. I would really appreciate knowing what you guys are seeing. Okay, now in a question like that, you're signaling ahead of time that it's going to be met with appreciation. Then the next step is you say, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. And then the, the, the most important piece is what I, I call it taking care of the truth or taking care of the gift of knowledge. So you talked about politicians like uh, changing the color. So Ron Westrom, he's an organizational theorist about knowledge flow. Everyone's watching what you do with that information. So there's this, this chain from sweeping it under the rug, which is suppression. But then there's this middle ground of, well, we said red, but let's call it blue because it's going to sound better. And then there's like, you know what? Let's take a deep look here. What does this really mean? And, and how do we need to evolve as an organization? So there's that last important step that is just as important as the invitation, right? So what do we say to the leader? I would say you are working crippled and blind and wow. at yeah. all, all kind powerless and at all kinds of extra risk if you have not unlocked knowledge flowing in your organization. And when you do, and when you learn how to ask the right questions, there's three initial ones that are sort of very basic. One is, is there any other information you think I might need to know? So it doesn't have to be for sure, just a might, right? Appreciate to know. But the, what are your questions, concerns, and ideas? So that's getting a little deeper. So first we're out in the information. Then we're like, hmm, let me touch inside of you. What are you actually thinking about, right? And then the most powerful question, I think, and this is borrowed from clean language, that can really help that leader relax is, what would you like to have happen? I'd really like to know your ideas. Now, there's latent expertise in the room all the time. It just has not been invited. And that's the person that folds their arms and says, well, I wouldn't do it that way, but nobody asked me. So bring some joy to leadership. 
bring some joy to the staff. <laughs> I think it does because I think it does take some pressure off. And I have a love hate thing with the whole idea of professionalism. And you're starting to hear people speak out about this because at one aspect of it is, okay, you want to look impressionable. You want to look nice when you're approaching someone. You, want, you know, that part of professionalism, I have no issue with. The other side almost creates this fakeness and culture like we talked about in the very beginning. And I think it's so hard for us to separate the two when we think of this professionalism. And so we create this tension. It's tension masquerade as professionalism, but it's not professionalism. It's not excellence. It's like this weird... Like almost like mm -hmm. drive for perfection, not excellence. And it causes all these issues. And so I guess what I want to ask you is for someone that says, you know, I like what you're talking about, but I have no idea where to start. What's that first step you would suggest? Like, hey, leader, this is the first thing you should do to kind of shift this circle of mistrust, this tension between you and your staff and this culture that you've, you may not have created, but you inherited. This is the first step you should do to kind of moving forward and begin to slowly change that process. Well, I think the first step is a leader has to really ask themselves, am I willing to address the situation and willing to do whatever it takes to make things better? And the second thing I think what has to happen is you have to get in touch with what the, I loved your plant metaphor. So to take that a little further is a leader needs to start getting in touch with how complex things really are. So I have a model called the wonderful wild world we work in. So picture this, an inner ring of your VUCA world, right? Your volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous before you step out of bed in the morning. Then you have a layer of what I call the fabulous, fallible, and free-willed people having all kinds of experiences and, and emotional beings by nature. And then you have your complex socio-technical systems, and they're all spinning like roulettes. And you, where they land depends on, you know, so getting in touch with some complexity, educating myself about uncertainty. Changing that mindset of this is not a factory where we're really working is much more like a jungle and it's emerging and there's things that are unseen. And what does it take to survive in the jungle? Now you can get equipped for, for complexity. And that's being a leader who knows how to learn and quickly and not look back. Well, now let's learn through a root cause. We need to learn in the moment or even proactively. Yeah, I've noticed, particularly in manufacturing and construction and more labor-intense markets, we still had this industrial revolution paradigm from the 1800s. I went to the Smithsonian Museum. I think it's a American History Museum or something down in D.C. I, I can't even remember. It's been a handful of years. But I remember going through and reading signs from the Industrial Revolution. They had this display, and it was like you had to work 60, 70 hours a week. And it talked about having to ask permission to go to the restroom. Mm -hmm. And it was really strict. And it's like you get like two warnings, whatever, and you're done. Kind of really strict, kind of rigid. And the workforce doesn't tolerate that much anymore. But it was just the science and like how it worked. And you can still see in a lot of companies that culture still exists literally from the 1860s, from back then. Yeah. So you're, you're talking almost 200 years. There's still remnant of that culture in where if you go to, you know, one of the safety people that works for a construction company, spent time at Starbucks as a manager. She talked about how inclusive and engaging and different things that was. And she saw that change in, in that realm, but then she, her family is in the pipeline industry. So she came in and got involved with safety there. And now she's in uh, construction and excavating. She's like, there's a yeah. huge shift dynamic because my family had it this way. Then I went out in the, in the world and kind of saw this and said, this can apply here and it should apply there. But there's this kind of stranglehold on manufacturing and construction of like, it's still like rigid. 
everything's black and white. And then and the problem we're facing in the great so-called resignation, which I don't believe in, but there is a labor shortage, right? There's this huge kind of labor shortage. Everyone's trying to find employees. And so some of these companies are really late to the game where if you have good companies, a lot of the larger manufacturing companies have made the shift, at least to some degree, and have a more engaging type work culture. But a lot of them, especially, you know, those under 200 employee ones, they still struggle with bringing that in. And really, it's a culture you come in that doesn't work with the American culture anymore. And so it's hard to find employees. One is the job. Maybe, yes, everyone's blaming the job and these darn millennials don't want to work anymore. Or they just don't want to go and get yelled at and cussed out by their boss all the time. They don't want to be yeah. treated like crap. They don't want to have to have permission to go to the restroom. <laughs> right, so right. there's there's a lot more complexity than just blaming millennials on they're lazy and all whatever it is. There's, there's a lot of complexity here. So I'm so excited about this. People need to hear more about this. So I'm so glad you took the time to come do a podcast with us. So if anyone wants to reach out to you and they're like, Lauren, I, I really fully get what you said, but something kind of moves on the inside of me. And I think that's yeah. an answer to everything we're dealing with right now. How do they reach out to you? How do they contact you? How do they find your business? Oh, sure. So first off, there's reach out to me on LinkedIn. So it's L-A-U-R-I-N. Like speaking in, I happen to have in in my name, Lauren Mooney. There's also speakingin.podia.com. And on there, there's a page of all these tiny little articles I write with my little characters, very quick and easy to read, challenging some of the concepts, uh, modern safety concepts. I decided I'm going to I'm a, a safety concept wrangler. I'm like, what am I? Like, so you know how they say you got to tackle the wicked problems? Well, this is what I feel like I am in a wrestling match with some of these ideas. And then the other thing, of course, Lauren, L-A-U-R-I-N, at speakingin.org. So there's three ways you can reach me. We're going to be running a beta sometime soon. And I think we're going to be doing it. It's funny you asked about, like, how do you stick with this or embed this? But we're going to be doing it more in a challenge format where it's going to be a small inspiration. And then like, okay, question of the day, are we going to go ask it and watch what happens? You know, question and follow through, question and follow through and um, watch. Because if you can get one person to speak up and everyone watch that person have a good experience and the leader follow through, you just shifted your culture. If a company wants to try this and they maybe go on your LinkedIn page or your website and for those of you listening, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So if you look in the show notes, not every app out there allows links to go through, but you know, uh, Apple does, I think Google does, Spotify does. So I will put a link on her name that links to her LinkedIn. I'll put the website information all in there. So you can just click on the show notes and go right there right now as you're listening to this. But I assume that you offer coaching or consulting mm -hmm. so you can help coach people through this process. And make yes. it through so they don't have to do this alone. They don't have to try to transition into this. Oh, no. Yes. I'm going to say I will guide you through the jungle um, and teach you to better uh, navigate uh, the dangers there. There's a lot of dark space while we're working. It's that space outside of our plans and no one's paid attention. And this is why process improvement is not enough. Okay. Everyone's like, darn it. We've done so much in Six Sigma. That's great. But plans are imperfect and they're insufficient. Um, and there's reasons for that. And once you become educated, it's like the light bulb goes on. You're like, oh, well, I'm just going to approach work, walk a little differently here. It can be done. It has been done. And yeah, love the opportunity to chat with anyone. And it is a, ultimately, it's a bottom up flow of knowledge, but it does have to be embraced by leadership and then modeled, embraced and modeled its way down. 
John Maxwell has this very good line. I, I'm not 100% sold on it, but I, I'm sold on the idea that he's trying to portray the leaders. He says, everything rises and falls with leadership. Everything. And so I don't 100% agree with that because I knew some great leaders and some terrible people that refused to follow him. But in the yes. grand scheme of stuff, his main point is this. is like, listen, you can't blame everything on everyone underneath you. You have to ask yourself, how do I need to change? Because a lot of times that we learn from marketing, the way stores are designed, people and actions and behaviors are just a product of the context in which they're going around. You know, we put milk in the mm-hmm. back of the grocery store to get them to walk further, hopefully spend more money. Target puts those big red balls in your way to slow you down because if you walk too fast, you buy less in the store. Mm-hmm. There's all these things out there that people use and don't realize, and we can use and take advantage of that stuff as well. And it's not just physical things, procedures and policy, very important things. But when you're working with people, it's a whole different ball game. Like we talked about earlier, that organic plant you water, sometimes you water too much. You got to take a little water away next time. Sometimes you got to cut the shade away. There's little different things you do and you can't always just have it all mapped out for you in front of hand. It's just the process that you have to embrace the process for the long term. So Lauren, Thank you so much. I'm excited. I hope some people reach out to you. And uh, thank you so much. It's been incredible. I love this conversation. Hopefully we stay connected on LinkedIn and keep going back and forth because I'd love to learn more about what you had to say about this. And and I hope your business is blessed and continues to prosper in this as you preach the good word of speaking Mm -hmm. in. So everybody out there, thanks for tuning in and listening to us and be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe.